breaks away from one tackle. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is the Pack. What's up, East Lansing? Welcome to the Pact here on WDBM 88.9 FM. My name is Faith, and I'll be your host for the show this evening. Fino, our um, usual host, unfortunately, is out because he lost his voice. So, Fino, know that you will be missed. We miss you here at the Pact. But um, here alongside me tonight is Harry Jaden, our tennis star. You won two matches this weekend. Tell us about that, Harry. Yeah, we beat uh, Nebraska and Iowa. Good uh, protect home court advantage. And this weekend we go on the road against Northwestern and Illinois. It'll be fun to play. Awesome. Hopefully we keep it rolling. Yep. Yeah. We have Austin Goodman. What's up, Austin? Hey, guys. How you doing? The Detroit Red Wings are finally winning games. Seventh seed. <laughs> Check my stuff out on impact89fm.org. Sports. Awesome. They had some great <laughs> great games this weekend. Great games. Absolutely. Toronto and Tampa. And behind the glass, Lou. Lou DeVizio, how you doing? Pretty good. How you guys doing? Great. Absolutely great. So um, we've had a very, very busy past few days in regards to athletics here in the state of Michigan. And so the first we got a few topics we're talking about today. First, we'll be talking about MSU's run in the NCAA tournament and how, unfortunately, it was cut short yesterday. So, that you know, this weekend, MSU Spartans took on Virginia on the Sweet 16 on Friday, won a close 61-59 to game. Yesterday, it was a sad day, though, for Michigan basketball. Izzo and the Spartans lost 60-54 to to University of uh, Connecticut, the Huskies, and the Elite Eight. So, so till about 725, we'll be talking about MSU basketball and the outcome of that game. And around 725, we'll be taking a break here. And uh, at 7.27, we'll come back for our Tiger Talk. You know, it was opening day for the Tigers. Absolutely beautiful day. Um, was 55 degrees and absolutely sunny in Detroit. And the Tigers ended up taking home that win 4-3 to in the ninth inning by Alex Gon- uh, Gon- Alex Gonzalez. There you go. Thank you. RBI single. And so that was Brad Osmus, his first managerial debut. How awesome. Good for him. After that, we'll get a break back in the show about 7.49, and we'll come back for a short roundtable discussion about the NCAA unionization for athletes. Do you agree? Do you not agree? You know, you can always call and talk to us about that. But also, we've got a few tickets to give away here on the Impact and on the Pact. Um, You know, today's winner, if you give us a call, will be put on a guest list along with one other person to the 8th Annual Crosstown Showdown. MSU versus the Lugnuts, courtesy of the Lansing Lugnuts. The game starts at 7.05 p.m. this Thursday, April 3rd, at Cooley Law School Stadium in downtown Lansing. So the Impact would like to thank the Lansing Lugnuts for the continued support and remind listeners that they may win once per week. So if you're interested in winning those tickets, you and a friend, make sure to give us a call. You can always call us at 517-432-3893. So, guys, we're going to jump right into it. You know, you know, great win, like I said, against Virginia on Friday. You know, I was actually participating in the Relay for Life that was held here at Michigan State. 
on Friday night. It was from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. So I went to bed at 7. But it was awesome because there was a bunch of MSU students there. We could all watch the game on the Jumbotron. You know, it was great. You could hear the cheering, the go green, go white from different sides of the arena. So it was great to see them, you know, win there. But, you know, then unfortunately Sunday rolled around. MSU faced UConn. And then Winterwood would be obviously heading into the Final Four. And UConn came out strong against the Spartans with a 13-2 run. And MSU ended up coming back to make it a close game, but unfortunately losing 60-54. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I just want to like ask you guys, what do you think happened? What do you think went wrong here against that UConn? Honestly, I there are multiple things that went wrong. Of course, guys, we all saw it. Michigan State couldn't make a shot. That first you know, nine minutes of the game when there was a 13-2 and two run. That was pathetic. It wasn't that Connecticut was just playing that tough of defense. It's that Michigan State could not make their shots. Travis Trice was trying to put up shots. Keith Appling, Adrian Payne, Brandon Dawson wasn't even able to move in the paint. Neither was Payne. And Gary Harris, he was missing a couple three balls as well. Nobody could make their shots. And then second, you know, like I was saying, Connecticut was closing in. They were double, triple teaming Adrian Payne, and that really, really hurt Michigan State. It forced them to shoot from the outside, and as we know, Michigan State is not an outside team. They're not an outside threat, and quite frankly, in the Elite Eight against UConn, you're not going to be able to beat a, a UConn team that has Shabazz, that has Daniels, that has Bo Wright that's playing one of the best games that he's played. Shabazz, they knew that Shabazz was Shabazz was going to be that good. I mean, guys, there was a lot of penetration from Connecticut, and quite frankly, Michigan State didn't have an answer. Absolutely. Harry, what do you think? I had a lot of problems with this game. I thought the players were embarrassed. I thought Tom Izzo got out coached by Kevin Alley, and I just thought... UConn manned up in in a pressure situation while Michigan State looked rattled. Understandably, it was a UConn favored. Uh, the crowd was thirteen thousand plus mm-hmm. fans were Absolutely. UConn, but still, Adrian Payne attempts ten three pointers and only four uh, shots inside the arc. That's unexplainable. He's a six ten athletic power forward. I don't care if he has all five players draped on him. He should be able to get more than four shots up inside the in the paint compared to the ten three pointers he shot. Also. Why, 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 why are we putting guys like Trice or Appling on on a guy like Shabazz Napier, who's obviously UConn's only offensive threat? Why not throw Big Ten all-defensive team player Gary Harris on one of the best defenders in the Big Ten, in the nation even? Why I agree 100% not, with, with that. A, with a size, size advantage, Gary Harris is one of the most athletic players out on that court. And so Why? You, could, you put that blame on Tom Izzo almost. Yeah, that's, because... that's Tom Izzo's fault completely. We play a man-to-man defense. The players guard who they're told to guard. So Gary Harris, I think, should have been guarding Shabazz because if you make UConn look to Ryan Boatwright, to DeAndre mm-hmm. Daniels, to win him a game, I don't think it's happening. I mean, the percentages are Napier's going to win them the game, and they don't have much outside of that. Yeah, there was definitely some mismatches definitely out there on that court. So, Lou, what do you think? I think it was definitely the lack of inside pressure lack of getting to the rim points in the paint I mean it just wasn't there and when during that opening stretch where MSU went one for nine or whatever it was absolutely terrible (laughs) I I mean it it was and you're just shaking your head why are you still jacking out these long these long jumpers you know when you when you're not knocking down shots you got to go back to basics and just start crashing and getting towards the basket there you know 
But you get you have to give it to Connecticut. I'm sorry, Harry. Mm-hmm. I know you want to say something really quickly, but you have to give it to Connecticut because Connecticut really did put that pressure for them to force that outside play, and that was their entire scheme the entire time. I think it was a great strategy. You know, they doubled up, even triple teamed on AP down low. I mean, they didn't give him that shot, and you know, AP definitely does add to the points and the rebounds and everything that Michigan State needs. Go the, ahead, Harry. The thing about I keep on hearing that UConn double teamed, triple teamed AP, but. What happened in the Virginia game is that Virginia was doing that, and it stagnated MSU's offense, but then you saw a lot of great interior passing by AP where he would find Dawson, who's big, the guy who was guarding Dawson obviously would come over to help AP. Dawson would slide under, they would find him. So that didn't happen against UConn, and it didn't make much sense why, because they were throwing more guys on AP than, than Virginia did. And Virginia's a better defensive team all around. No, That's- I agree completely. I think defensively, yeah, Virginia was... I was shocked even Michigan State got by them just because I knew how hard, you know, Virginia was at their Mm -hmm. defense. But like you were talking a little bit about Dawson, you know, he was limited on his offensive ability this game against UConn. He only had eight rebounds, which great, you know, anything matters. But he definitely was limited on his offensive. And and you talk about rebounds. How about, uh, it was, I want to say, about two minutes left in the game when UConn got those two big offensive rebounds that just helped drain out the clock. I was sitting there like... You're Tom Izzo. You're playing under Tom Izzo. Like, you yeah. rebound. That's your identity. And this team just didn't. I mean, they gave up those two crucial rebounds, and that just helped UConn run the clock out. And Napier had the ball in his hands, and only good things are going to happen for UConn if he has the ball. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Dawson also, you have to keep in mind, he had 26 points mm-hmm. and 10 rebounds in the last game. He had a double-double. Mm-hmm. This game he had five points and eight rebounds. I mean, he wasn't in double digits in either column. They weren't feeding the monkey. They weren't feeding that mule. And Brandon Dawson has been hot. And quite frankly, he wasn't getting open. He didn't have the shots, and he wasn't able to take them. And it was kind of unfortunate. The only person that was in double digits for Michigan State, the only two people were Gary Harris and Adrian Payne. Gary Harris. Had 22 points, two rebounds. Obviously, he's not a big rebounding guy, but you know, Adrian Payne he had 13 points and nine rebounds. Like, you need a few more points out of Adrian Payne. You need more points out of Denzel Valen- or out of Brandon Dawson. You know, even Denzel Valentine had more points than Dawson in this game with nine points and you know eight rebounds. I think that Denzel Valentine played the best for Michigan State. He was the best player on the floor outside of Gary Harris. See, I, I felt a little bit like Denzel Valentine gave up a few. He had a few turnovers that mm-hmm. I was pretty shocked to see that coming from him. Yeah, I, I mean, guess, at this point in the tournament, I think his biggest, the biggest part about Denzel Valentine is his passing. And when you have such incredible passing and you're you have good vision on the court, I think that allows for your game to have a couple of turnovers here and there. I mean, you know, Keith Appling. <laughs> I mean, the guy played pathetic. It, it, it was pathetic, and it, you can't really point a finger and say, well, Denzel was putting up nine points and eight rebounds. What was Keith Appling putting up? I guess that's something I want to bring up to all of you guys. You know, Appling, he fouls out at the end, two points. What are your guys' take? Was that a good way to go out as a senior? I mean, it was pathetic. What was to be expected of him at this end of you know the year? For me, it's not only him being a senior, but him man-to-man against Shabazz Napier. Napier, same position. They're defending each other. Napier goes off. They're both seniors. Napier show did what Appling should have done. He put the team on his back dough. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Jennings style. But really though, and to see Napier just talking smack to Appling every single time down the court, just getting past him, making Applin foul out of the game. Appling got those five fouls because he was 
constantly getting beat by Napier, had to foul him, but it was just sad to see because Appling was a great player. He did a lot of great things here, but just this run ever since ever since the wrist injury, pretty much, he's just been terrible. He's yeah. been very timid, definitely on offense mm-hmm. as well. So, and he was turning over the ball a lot too. I mean, he had four turnovers. Of course, Lou, what do you got? I, I mean. I just want to. Obviously, he had a rough game, but I just can't bash him too bad because of what he did during the beginning of the season when we had all those injuries. He was our only consistent player, and you know MSU wouldn't have been anywhere if it wasn't for him during that first stretch when we when MSU what was their they opened up undefeated for their longest stretch in however many years or. I think ever, wasn't it? Their longest yeah. win streak to open a season. Yeah. And that was because of Keith. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have been to that point. Now, obviously, what matters is the tournament, and he didn't show up. So there are a lot of questions there. But would you guys not agree that Shabazz got some pretty weak oh. foul calls? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and foul calls that Keith did not receive either. Exactly. No, no I agree. Boatwright would be out beyond the perimeter around where the NBA three-pointer three is just swinging at our guys, just like trying to get a steal out of there. And he would constantly just hit them on their hands, on their arms. We wouldn't get those fouls. But if somebody touched Shabazz, he got a call. And it's that whole Dwayne Wade syndrome. If you just take it to the rack hard, like time after time after time, you're going to get the calls. And and it just wasn't in the books. And Appling only attempted three shots, so he wasn't being aggressive. I think if he's aggressive time after time after time, he's going to get those calls. If you look at the free throw disparity, Eight to twenty-two in favor of yeah. UConn. That's that's saying something. I'll give that to you, and that's uh, what goes off of what I was saying earlier about not getting in the lane, not getting in the yep. paint. You know, yep. and that that's where Dawson didn't show up. And it, I I don't think it wasn't. I don't think it was all Dawson because he didn't have the ball very much in his hands. Mm-hmm. Our point guards didn't do a very good job of getting him the ball, so so he didn't have the ability to get in there. Adrian Payne, I think he once he started knocking down those threes. It seemed like that was all he wanted to do. Yep, it yep. didn't seem like he wanted to get into into the paint, close to the rim, and draw those fouls. And I mean, he's MSU's best free point shooter or free throw shooter, rather. So I, I don't know what the deal with that was. Transition game was non-existent, and that's what everyone was talking about being MSU's biggest strength. The transitions. It, yeah, and in the Virginia game, I know uh, our buddy Jonathan Yales. Uh, he he said that you know Virginia is a team that slows other teams down, and he picked Virginia in that game. Now MSU barely got by them. They definitely got slowed down by this Husky squad, and that was evident. And that's why they had to set up and were forced to those perimeter shots. Not only do I think they got slowed down, but I think they came in slow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys were really you know queuing in at the beginning of the game, but Michigan State looked very drawn they look very tired you know UConn came to play oh absolutely taking it to him you right came to go to the final four michigan state did not and you need that veteran leadership you need your seniors to play well adrian Payne, like i was saying he could have put on a better show and keith appling we all know that he could have put on a better show i mean two points following out getting a three-point foul at the end of the game dude Come on. You need to put the team on your back at that point. If you get a finger on him, you still know that that's going to be a foul. You can't get up in his face when Shabazz Napier is going up like that, especially after you know the entire game that they were giving him that call. Exactly. And that was that was a complete rookie mistake by Keith. I would honestly let him just let Napier go up for that shot and just, just see if the ball goes in rather than taking him to the free throw line. But one guy we haven't mentioned yet is Travis Trice. Zero points, mm-hmm. oh. one turnover, two assists, one rebound in 18 minutes. So 
he has been our X Factor. He's been yep. the unsung, unsung hero this whole run. He's been having great games. And this one, maybe it was just the law of averages where he was bound to have just a below average game after playing so well down the stretch. But he also didn't play very well. I mean, if you look at it, it's pretty much Valentine, Harrison, Payne were our scoring for the game. I mean, I don't think he could find consistency. I don't think Tom Izzo had enough faith mm-hmm. in Travis Trice. Obviously, we all know the play of Keith Appling was heavily mm-hmm. affecting the other players around Michigan State. You could mm-hmm. see the frustration within each one of the players, and they were kind of babbling at each other throughout the game. You know, I saw Adrian Payne kind of yelling at Keith Appling at one point, saying, dude, what are you doing? And it's just like they fell apart. In the middle of that second half, they started to fall apart. And, you know, they did come back in that first half. They, they had did. a 23-9 run where they looked like that Michigan State Spartan team that Barack Obama picked to win <laughs> the national championship. But, guys, you have to play consistent. Travis Trice wasn't consistent. Nobody was consistent in this game. But the thing is, when they went on that 29-whatever to whatever run you just mentioned— it wasn't that same old MSU team. They were knocking down shots, but they were perimeter shots. It looked like U of yeah. M out there, and it made me yeah. sick. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, every <laughs> as time. As long as they lost yesterday, and, too. So. And, and that's that's exactly what UConn wanted. I'm sure UConn's coach, Kevin Ollie, was saying, guys, just weather the storm. They're going to make their shots now. But exactly. Like, over the course of the season, this has not been their identity. We've gotten them to play out of their identity, and that's exactly what Kevin Ollie wanted them to do. And, and hats off to him. He's. He's making UConn look good after losing Jim Calhoun. They got they got a new guy in town, and he's a great coach. I mean, Brandon Dawson only had three attempts from the field, guys. He went one for three. I mean, Adrian Payne, he took 14, 14 opportunities. He went four for 14. He was three of ten from behind the arc. I mean, that those are pathetic numbers. When you're a senior and when you were putting up the numbers that you were putting up against Delaware, that's pathetic. I mean, overall, MSU attempted 29 three-pointers, and I think that's very aggressive, especially behind the arc. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of those things where you really should be trying to work the ball in to get those easy layups. Yeah. I mean, uh, Connecticut was really shutting them down, of though, Of course, guys. You absolutely. really, like, everybody says, you know, well, you got to get past that double, triple team. You have to be able to cycle. You have to be able to, you know, push away your, push away your men, but... Guys, they weren't giving him any space. They had to cycle around Gary Harris for that three ball, and he was only four for nine from behind the arc. You know, Faith, you used the word aggressive, and I know what you meant by it, but I, I don't think I would use that word at all for their style of play because taking those threes, it's it's just kind of a timid way out. You know, you're going to be able to fire the ball from behind the arc. It's not a difficult thing to do and hope it's going to go in. And for a while it did on that run. But it, like Harry said, you know, the coach knew it. Ollie knew it. MSU had to know it at some point that's not going to work and you know with the doubles and triple teams with all these block shots they had some beauty block shots the Huskies did you know get in there and draw some fouls Mm -hmm. draw some fouls if they're double and triple teaming you why why is MSU only going up for eight free throw and and I think that's that's a very very good point and I think the eight free throws goes to show that they were not going in for the yeah, wow. and, and Lou brings up a good point, draw fouls. And mm-hmm. UConn's, even their perimeter defense was being very aggressive, and they were going up to block shots. So a lot of times I saw guys like Gary Harris go for a shot fake, and they got their defenders in the air. And rather than going up, leaning into them a little bit and drawing contact, getting three free throws, they would take another dribble and shoot an uncontested three. I would have rather had them pull a, a veteran NBA move where you get the guy up in the air, lean into him, get the contact, just throw up a random shot and take those free throws. Yeah. And I felt like we were just looking for the shots and, and not being smart in those situations because Gary Harris is a great th- uh, free throw shooter. Keith Affling is a great free throw shooter. We needed to get to the line, and, and a lot of that has to do with uh, 
hometown cooking too for <laughs> UConn. I don't know. What do you guys think about UConn playing a de facto home game when they're the seventh seed and we're the four seed regional finals? That's that's a bit bogus to me. I don't think that should happen. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, they had, definitely had the advantage of Madison Square Garden. You Thirteen thousand fans there yeah. for them, and you could feel it. As a Michigan State fan, you could feel it. You could you were sitting there watching the game, and you could and, hear and it. I li- you yeah. Could oh, hear yeah. It. oh yeah. I mean, I like watching the games in silence. I don't like being around other people <laughs> yapping and all that stuff. I like really getting into the game, and I could ju- I could personally feel from watching the game just how much it was getting to Michigan State. The fact that, oh, it's not supposed to be an advantage-type game, but it was. It was very much so an advantage-type game, and that was rough on Michigan State. You could see it with some of the alumni in the stands. You know, uh, I, I don't, I forget who was announcing the game, but when they came back from a commercial break, uh, they had said they introduced Rip Hamilton, mm-hmm. who was a 1999 national champion with UConn. Mm-hmm. Crowd goes wild. <laughs> yeah, then yeah. flip it over to... Uh, uh, Who's the MSU? Mateen. Yeah. Mateen, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Brain fart there. Mateen, he stands up, waves to the crowd, boos. You know, I mean, it, that's that's rough, and I'm sure MSU felt that. I don't think that that can be an excuse for the way they played, though. No, absolutely not. I think Tom Izzo's going to act on that, though. I think he's definitely going to try to you know, figure that out with the league and figure it out with the NCAA because that's not fair for Michigan State. But like you said, Lou, you can't blame it on that. You really can't. And I, I don't think there's anything you can really do. I mean, the NCAA wants to make as much money as you can get, and where else are you going to get more money than Madison Square Garden? Absolutely. And it, no one really expected UConn to be in the position that they were, and they took advantage of it. There you go. I wanted to ask you guys what, you know, I know you guys touched on it a little bit, but Shabazz Napier, he was an incredible factor for UConn during this game. I mean, he had 25 points, 17 just in the second half alone. And, you know, like Austin, you brought it up at the end. They sent him to the free throw line, and he's an 87.8% free throw shooter. So you know he's going to make those shots. I mean, what was his role during this game? His role was everything. He <laughs> took over the game. and But not only that, I mean, Boatwright, he stepped up as well. DeAndre Daniels, he stepped up as well. All three of those guys were in double digits. You know, Daniels had 12 points, Boatwright had 11, and Napier had 25. I mean, guys, they weren't getting the foul calls either. I mean, they were slapping at them the entire game, and they weren't getting those calls. Michigan, It was all called on Michigan State. Shabazz Napier, I mean, he went 9 for 9 on the free throw line, and Keith Appling took that decision. You guys have to keep in mind it was a two-point game before those free throws went up. Two-point game. Yeah. That's a very mm-hmm. easily reversible, if not winnable, by Michigan State. And not to mention the fact that Napier just went up for a contested three. Chances are he's not going to make that shot. I know he's a clutch player, but you probably have a one-in-three at most chance of making a shot like that where Appling had a good contest, maybe even too good, and came down with a foul. Honestly, and- and in, in, in what I saw in Shabazz Napier was a guy who said, all right, I'm the quarterback of this offense. I am the senior leader of this team. I am taking you guys to a Final Four. Just trust me. Give me the ball. Where I saw Appling look like LeBron in the 2011 Finals when he played the Mavericks just sitting, in the, sitting passively, not wanting the ball, getting the ball out of his hands, not taking shots. Whereas Napier looked like LeBron in last year's Finals and the year before where he said, all right, my ball, 
I'm going to end this on my terms. If we lose this game, it's going to be because I didn't play well, not because of my whole team. And there were also a couple miracle shots made by Shapaz Napier, guys. I mean, you saw a couple three-point shots that nobody could make in the NCAA, even if they tried, and he was just leaning back and draining them. There was two two times that I remember in the second half that he just put up those three-point shots, and it was like, wow, how did he make that shot? Yeah. And guys, keep in mind, he was only four for nine from you know behind the arc, but he made clutch plays. Keith Appling, not so clutch. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything, Lou? I, I just got to say, I, I'm still hung up on the refereeing a little bit, and not because, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, and they didn't lose the game because of the refereeing, but that play with Gary Harris on Shabazz, you know, and I think, I think the fact that it was kind of a de facto home game kind of played into it, you know, the refs get there the crowd riling into him. Why was there a review for a flagrant foul on that play with Gary? I mean, I mean, he's going for the ball. He gets yeah. the ball tossed out of his hands, and he throws his hands up. Did and you, his forearm kind of nicks him in the in the nose, and he's crying on the ground for an hour. Did you like the play? What, what was that? That how, how long was that thing in his nose? How much blood come out of there? <laughs> an ounce, an eyedropper? I mean, what a joke. Honestly, and did you guys like the play where Adrian Payne went up for the ball, they, and they called it out of bounds yeah. on Michigan State, and they gave the ball to UConn, and... In the video evidence, it was so clear. ridiculously clear that it went out on UConn. <laughs> like, absolutely so ridiculously clear. I'm sorry. It was embarrassing refing, but you can't blame it on Tom Izzo. You can't blame it on the refs. You can only blame it on your senior veteranship, on the guys that play on the floor. And quite frankly, Michigan State just lost the game. Absolutely. Now, guys, I hope your brackets you guys made aren't. <laughs> Too damaged. Let's oh, just mine's destroyed. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I just throw. threw it out the window. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, we're going to take a quick break here on the Pact. Remember, you can always call us at 517-432-3893. But we'll get back and talk about a little bit of Tigers and opening day after the break. You're listening to the Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That's right. You're back with Michigan State Student Radio Station, Impact 89 FM. We're back on the packs, guys. We just had a great discussion about the NCAA tournament. Michigan State, unfortunately, losing when they got back down to the Elite Eight. But I want to remind you guys to call in. Remember, you guys can call us and voice your opinion and share what we're talking about, which we're talking about Tigers next. But you can also call in because we are giving away a a few free tickets to um, the Crosstown Showdown. So today's winner will be put on the guest list along with one other person to the 8th annual Crosstown Showdown, MSU versus the Lugnuts. 
courtesy of the Lansing Lugnuts. The game starts at 7.05 p.m. and will be this Thursday, April 3rd at Cooley Law Stadium in downtown Lansing. So Impact would like to thank the Lansing Lugnuts for their continued support and remind listeners that they may win once per week. So fans, call in. I know you guys want to win those tickets, so give us a call. Or you can call and talk to us because we're talking about Tigers now. You know, we're getting right into it. It was opening day, absolutely beautiful. Like I said, 55 degrees, pure sun, great day for baseball. And I know um, a few people were talking about it. Typically, I wouldn't maybe watch a game during class. But today, I was in class watching the game on my laptop, you know, GameCast. Should this be a national holiday is my question for you guys just to start off. Honestly, I mean, for me, it should be a national holiday. <laughs> I I unfortunately had an attendance-required class 3 to 420, and we were watching a movie that I was forced to watch the movie <laughs> the entire time. I was trying to get the game up there, and my teacher caught me. She's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I was like, but I'm going to be on the radio. She didn't like it. doesn't matter. Regardless, I think it should be a national holiday. Like, why not, guys? But, uh, you know, all jokes aside, opening day went extremely well. For the Tigers. I mean, 4-3 victory, Brad Osmus's first victory as a manager. That's great to see. Absolutely. Harry, what you got? No, I I, I, I like anything that gets me out of school. It's not gets me out of <laughs> so work. So he's like, vote for but, a national uh, holiday. Yeah. Peace, peace, guys. <laughs> but if we, make, if we make baseball's opening day a national holiday, I think we should make football's as well because football's been a more popular sport since 1985. Just throwing it out there. I like fantasy football over fantasy baseball. Oh, Understandable. absolutely. So. I think I think why not make both of them a, a holiday? Get school off both those days. <laughs> yeah. All right, Lou. Well, I, I was just happy to see the Tigers walk away with that victory, you know. Uh, and I was listening to it driving around in my car. I didn't listen to the whole game, but it's just a beautiful thing to roll around windows down listening to Jim and Dan. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but Absolutely. We, exactly. Like you said, though, Austin, it was a great win, four to three. You know, um, Tigers came out. I'm. I do have to admit, I wasn't quite sure what to expect when they first came out but you know they ended up pulling away with that win there was a few errors you know Austin Jackson dropped the ball in the first he probably could have dove for it um you know in the second Tory Hunter nine-time golden glove missed that pop fly you know kept the guy on first and second unfortunately you know but then it kind of game kind of turned around a little bit Victor Martinez in the third got a home run beautiful popped Mm -hmm. it out great hit you know, and, you know, Justin Verlander, I guess, in the middle for me looked a little bit shaky. But I want to know your guys' opinions. You know, guys, I mean, I think Victor Martinez played an incredibly sound game. I, I, he came out there and he proved his point. There was a, a few questions at the beginning of the season about Victor Martinez and how he's going to fare, you know, batting behind Miguel Cabrera. And I think that V-Mart is going to have an incredible season. And then to back that up with Austin Jackson right behind him, that's a great person to have right behind you as well. And then, of course, your top three in Kinsler, Hunter, and Cabrera. And, you know, as we all know, Miguel Cabrera, the best hitter in baseball right now, arguably. I mean, I wouldn't argue it, but, you know, I think every there would be a couple other people that would argue against it. But, I mean, Miggy's a great player. And, you know, like I said, Vimar, he's coming out and he's making a statement right now. Harry? I, I mean, I agree. I thought the, I thought the Tigers looked solid. You can't. It's one game in a season that has 275 million of them. Yep. Yeah. So you can't put too much stock in it. But it's always good to have that win. Put a put your first foot forward. Get your foot in the water. Whatever metaphor you want to use. <laughs> but no, it's it's great to see him out there. Gonzalez. It was great to see him. 37 year old. He can still do it. He had a he had a, a gaff in the fourth, but he also had the triple the tie in this in the single in the ninth to win the game. So 
it was good to see him. Iglesias was a very big loss, but I thought it was I mean, all G- positives on Gonzalez the day. Gonzalez on that late pickup for the Tigers, that was really smart. And yes. that comes down to Brad Ausmus as a manager and Dave Dombrowski, obviously, as the GM making executive moves. And, you know, we'll bring up later on that Miguel Cabrera contract, $292 million, eight-year extension for Miggy, which is great for Tigers. Well, I'll be like 30 years old by the time he's <laughs> hanging up his Tigers uniform, and I love that. But, you know, I, I really think that Brad Ausmus really had his work cut out for him coming into this uh coming into the season he really performed in the opening day with his lineup with his team's play it looked good good you, you know I, I austin said that he had some questions i don't know if he said that he had questions or general questions were around about vmart i think vmart is probably coming into this year he he was one of my guarantees to have a tremendous year because he always does i mean before there was prince fielder the one two was cabrera vmart and it's just scary to have a guy like Cabby in there because you don't want to walk him. But if you do, who's up next? V-Mart with usually, if not uh, just as good, just a little bit lesser of a batting percentage. Home one power. Smart hitting. He, I, I mean, and now that he's been healthy, his, his knee's getting back in there, I think V-Mart's going to be the number two guy for this ball club, and I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, that is really great, honestly. Victor Martinez, you know, I think the biggest concern, I'm I'm not exactly saying the concern was with Victor Martinez himself, but it's with his where he is in the lineup. Uh, He didn't have that Prince Fielder to be able to, you know, give him that little bit of a buffer space. And, uh, you know, for me, I think he answered to that call today, batting behind Cabrera and getting that first home run. I mean, that's just answering right there, and he can, he will be able to play without Prince Fielder sitting right in front of him. Of course. And we talked a lot about hitting, but I want to bring up the bullpen. Three scoreless innings. Mm -hmm. With the starting rotation that we have. I love that you brought that up. If Mm -hmm. we just have an above average to average bullpen, as long as our bullpen is not a weakness, I think this team has World Series written all over it. I mean, like, great great point to bring up the bullpen. I mean, you know, Evan Reed came out, you know, threw a couple pitches, and then we had a great closer. Joe Nathan came out. I think the bullpen really was strong, and I think it was a great, you know, tone to set for the, you know, beginning of the season. Absolutely, and I like Al Albuquerque. I think he's a great, great bullpen guy, and he can really get those pitches in there. He's got a wicked fast arm, and it snaps so well. I mean, and then obviously we picked up that closer, Joe Nathan. You know, the Tigers really needed a closer. Jose Valverde cannot do it. He wasn't doing it. They brought him back. He again. Good luck, Mats. Yeah, honestly. He, he, <laughs> Sorry, he, you know. He wasn't doing it, but Joe Nathan, he's a reliable guy. He's proved that he's reliable, and I think that he's going to suit the Tigers really well, you know, putting him in there and playing consistently. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Al a little bit. You know, Albuquerque, I think it was maybe three years ago, I, I thought he was one of our best bullpen guys until Absolutely. that World, or not World Series, that that grand slam he led up uh, a few years ago against the Yankees in the playoffs. I think it was the second round. And that really shook him up. And, you know, since then he's had some injuries that he hasn't really been able to get through last year, kind of a rough year. But I think if Albuquerque realizes his potential, I think this guy, like Austin said, he's going to be one of our best guys out of the bullpen. But I, I think now, shifting it back over to the hitters, Kansas City's bullpen is one of the best in the league, if not the best in all of the major leagues. And for us to come back, for Detroit to come back and, you know, bring that 3-1 to one t- a three to one deficit rather to a 3-3 three, three tie and then eventually 
you know, score that run with the Gonzalez walk-off. I mean, that's a tremendous thing to do. That's that's what I want to see out of these Tigers, getting those bats in there late and, and never giving up. You know, and you really like to see the play of Nick Castellanos. I mean, guys, he's going to be a really big X factor for the Tigers this season. He's a new player. Everybody knew going into the season that he is a good hitter. He can step up there. He has a great, great box presence, and that's one big thing with Castellanos is he has that box presence. And another thing, and it's, it's going to be, you know, hanging over his head for a little bit is is he going to be able to have good play at third base? Obviously, he's a little bit more comfortable when the game was slowed down back when he used to play third base, but he hasn't played major league third base, and there's really nobody to back him up. There was a big question mark over third base before Nick Castellanos got that call from Brad Ausmus, and I think it's going to be a really big test of adversity for Nick Castellanos this year. I think he did well today. I know there was one, you know, you know, hit in particular that went his way. It was a foul ball, but he could have gotten it. Mm-hmm. But he was really, I, I, I don't think he was aware of how far he could go. You know, I think in the um, announcers during the game were even saying that when he plays there more often, he'll be more comfortable in that area and how far he can push his limits, you know, of mm-hmm. where he can go and catch those balls. But, Harry, what you got? Yeah, uh, Ian Kinsler also, guy we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. 0 for 4, not the best start you, you, you want to see from a Tiger. Yes. I mean, he's replacing... Uh, Prince pretty much in that in that trade we had so I don't know I didn't I didn't like what I saw but again it's one game one game, it's yeah. one game. and Ian Kinsler's a good guy I mean we all know he's a playoff guy mm-hmm. you know we, we we said that at the beginning we said that when we talked about the Ian Kinsler Prince Fielder whole debacle earlier in the season or, or in the off season rather Ian Kinsler is going to have a great playoff presence for the Tigers and obviously that's 161 games down the road and a lot of adversity down the road for this team they have a long season ahead of them I think Ian Kinsler is going to be able to perform to the expectations that everybody's holding him to guys yeah we'll see what happens here I'm not too worried about the 0 for 4 you know <laughs> getting it first uh First regular season game at Comerica, you know, just kind of getting his feet wet there. You know, Tory went 0 for 4 too. I mean, Tory will be there. Ian will be there. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I mean, Miggy went 1 for 3, and that's good. I mean, I, well, that's not good. I think it's decent. <laughs> I, I think that Miguel Cabrera can obviously, you know, hit two, three times in a game if he's up four. And, guys, you know, that that's ar- that's not arguable. He's a great hitter. He yeah. really is. And one thing I do want to talk about is I know, you know, during spring training and right before the season, there's a lot happening. You know, the Tigers lost Andy Dirks. You know, they lost uh, Jose Iglesias. Yes, was a Bruce Rondon. Loss. So they were trying to fill these slots, and I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about you know, like Miggy's. All these contracts were being set up. I know the Tigers put out a contract for Max Scherzer, and Scherzer turned it down. And uh, I know that there was a lot of controversy about that. And I, here's what I want to bring in though is that. The whole Miguel Cabrera thing. For me personally, I think the Miguel Cabrera offering him this long-term contract, you know, 10 years, what is it, $292 million for eight-year extension yes. with the option of two. Yeah, so cumulative, probably 10. You know, my thing, I think it was a knee-jerk reaction because Max Scherzer turned them down. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking, okay, who else can we solidify to, that we know we will, we will have for the next years to come? I, I disagree with that. I don't yeah. think that I don't think that management for a second was pondering whether or not they were going to offer Miggy a big contract. I mean, yeah. he's he's not only our franchise; he's the MLB. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of disgusting to see all that money go to one guy. But when you really think about it, he's the best baseball player in this era, and I think he deserves it. Absolutely, I think Miguel Cabrera 
absolutely 100% is the best player in this era. He potentially could be the best baseball player of all time, the best hitter of all time. I mean, he had a triple crown. He almost had back-to-back, but guys, you have to keep in mind, at the end of last season, he had a torn-in-half groin, literally split in half. It was two flaps waving in the middle of his of his leg. I mean, you can't hit when it comes to that, and he was still hitting the ball. He was still hitting the ball opposite field. He was playing in the game, and that's why Dave Dombrowski gave him that franchise tag and such a big margin, too. Yeah, Harry, what you got? I have a problem with the contract. I feel like teams like the Tigers, who have a franchise guy, like Cabrera, kind of get stuck in a catch-22 because of all the big contracts in the past. They signed him for 10 years. I mean, it's well documented he's going to be about 40 by the time the contract ends. Mm-hmm. And there's no way he's going to be worth the $30 million he's going to be making that year. I think towards the end of this deal, it's really going to strap us down uh, financially so we can't go out and get the guys that we want to go out and free agents get in free agency see I agree with you because if you look at look I think Miguel Cabrera great hitter right now great player overall I think it was a little bit of a lot of money to go into that long long of an extension for his contract because if you look at other people you know other players in the past we're looking at Babe Ruth we're looking at Hank Aaron Barry Bonds Ted Williams etc they all taper off the end of their careers and so my question is, will Miggy taper off at the end? I don't think that there's any question he's going to taper off. But And Harry, I think he put it well. You know, It is a catch-22 because you don't want to insult the best player in baseball by not offering him. And the fans, too. The fans right. love him. Yeah. Absolutely. And you need to keep him. Mm-hmm. You know, Detroit needs to keep him. They know that. And with all these contracts that are being tossed around, they kind of paint in, it, they get painted into a corner, and there's nothing you can do about it. But at the same time, you're not going to go out and make a statement and say, we don't agree with these contracts, you know, let's not offer this to Miggy. I mean, you can't make that mistake. I, I do think it's disgusting to have $30 million this last season. I mean, it's stupid. It's a lot of money. And it, for 10 years also, the term is kind of ridiculous also. I don't think that that should be allowed, but, I mean, that's something that they have to discuss in collective bargaining. bargaining rather. Well, I think that two-year option at the end of his contract mm-hmm. that they have is really going to be where if – Miguel Cabrera falls off and personally I don't think he's going to fall off. I think you have unleashed a completely different beast compared to the rest of the greats. Miguel Cabrera is obviously the staple of baseball right now. He's for, you know, he's in every advertisement for baseball. When it comes to the elites, it's LeBron James, Miguel Cabrera, Sidney Crosby and, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, whoever you want to pick from the NFL. That's obviously highly debatable as we already had a debate here on the pact. But I mean, guys, Miguel Cabrera deserves a contract like that I think he's going to be able to hit up to par for that contract and I really think that he's going to have one of the best seasons of his career if not the best season of his career this year after getting that contract I do love Miggy and I do think he's one of the kind the guy offered the police officer a shot when he got a DUI. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Oh, I love gosh, the guy. Sorry. I hate drunk driving, but I think that is something out of a, a Will Ferrell movie. But you look at guys like that we've given big contracts to, that the MLB has given big contracts to. Fielder, nine for two hundred fourteen nine years for two hundred fourteen millions. At about four years down the road, we were like, eh, toss him. Pujols. 240 for 10 years, 240 million, not 100 million, for 10 years with the Angels, and he's falling apart. Ryan Howard with the Phillies, five years for 125 million. He's falling, these, these long contracts where you put so much money and so much time, if they get one injury, if they step on the base pad wrong one time, your season, your, for a couple of years even, because of the financial uh, commitment you're giving these players, is done. 
your organization is is pretty much kaput. I agree with that. I, I see you there, Harry, and I think you're pretty much right on that. But I don't think that this is a fight that the Tigers mm-hmm. need to fight against Miguel Cabrera. I think this is a fight that you know players and the owners and all of that they got to sit down and figure this out once and for all. And unfortunately, you know the Tigers had to do this contract, and but I, I really do think that they did have to do it. It kind of it's it's unfortunate, but. You know, what are you going to do? Not sign Cabrera? I, I, that's it. No, they definitely had to do it. I mean, you have to – they have such a great player in our city. They want to keep him there for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, and it comes down to you You can't insult him, like I said earlier. And if you were to offer him, you know, Cabby, how's just a five-year deal? You know, how's that going to look mm-hmm. after what they'd offered to Prince? Now, that I think was obviously a mistake, hindsight. You know, you can say that, but – you know, if they did it to Prince and Cabby's been there for him, I mean, through thick and thin, so you had to do it. I just want you guys to think from this perspective, all right? We were all talking at the beginning of this segment how great of a lineup, you know, the Detroit Tigers have this season. We were talking about how they're such a great pull, bullpen this season. Obviously, a great starting lineup of pitchers outside of Drew Smiley, which in my preference is not that great of a pitcher. He has developed, you know, over the past couple of years, but I, I don't think he's obviously going to be near anywhere near a Doug Fister, you know, that the Tigers had to let up, but when those players are deciding to leave, take their exit from the MLB or go to another team and, you know, you trade, you know, move your pieces of the puzzle around, I think it will benefit the Tigers because they have such a great lineup around Miguel Cabrera. Their cap is already established. You know, the money that they have going out is already established. And with this great lineup, with their great bullpen and with their great starting pitching, I mean, guys, you can trade players for elites. And I really think that it'll benefit the Tigers from having such a great lineup coming down the, you know, coming to the regular season. The lineup's looking great, and later on in seasons to come, I think that you know the Tigers will have the capability of being able to move around their pieces of the puzzle and develop players as well. I do see where Austin's coming from. If there's one thing the Tigers will, are willing to do, it's spend money. We mentioned the fielder contract. Now the Cabrera contract, Verlander has a pretty big contract. So that's one thing that you have to look here and say, well, at least we're not the Milwaukee Brewers where we don't have the resources. The Detroit Tigers can go out and get those big-name free agents and Honestly, with no salary cap, that's what you got to do in baseball. It's it kind of it's kind of sad for the small market teams, but luckily we're from Michigan and we got the Tigers in Detroit. <laughs> Mr. Illich, best owner in sports, you know, and he's he's not worried about spending money and he wants to win this championship and you know, hopefully it's this year, hopefully if not, then it's the next year after. <laughs> hopefully it comes soon. That's all I got to say. So, you know, I don't think spending money's been a problem for Illich in his I mean, his entire career as an owner for Detroit. Tigers, Red Wings, you name it, you know, Little yeah. Caesars, some good pizza. <laughs> yeah, good, great, great pizza, better Italian cheese bread, if you guys have ever tried it, try it. But what I really want to say is, you know, Mike Illich, he's a phenomenal owner, and we all know that. We're not, he's not afraid to spend the money, of course, but what Dave Dombrowski is underappreciated for is the fact of simply his intelligence. He is a very, very smart GM. You guys have to keep in mind that he was brought in to change the complete atmosphere of the Tigers. And even when the Tigers had Jim Jim Leland as their skipper, I mean, guys, he Dave Dombrowski knew who to bring in. He's been bringing in the right guys, even though Prince Fielder was kind of a flop. If you were looking at Prince Fielder when he was playing for his previous team, you would have 
wanted him as well, and you would have given him that big contract as well. They obviously got out of it. They're still going to pay him off like they have to, and it wasn't worth it. But I think Miguel Cabrera is on a completely different pedestal than Prince Fielder was, and I don't think it's going to come to bite the Tigers in the butt when it comes to Miguel Cabrera coming down the stretch of his career. But right now, that confidence boost that it gave him was phenomenal. I really, really like what Brad Osmus has done right now with the team, and I think you know, even though he has had no you know, managerial experience. Um, I think he's done a great job. I know Israeli national team. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, he, he set up a very good lineup, an intelligent lineup from an intelligent manager. And and I definitely think though, that he's created this chemistry. I've been reading some things about how he'll, you know, have them, you know, go to different things and take videos and just to on these teammates and I think that's already working mm-hmm. and what I also like is that they were showing him on you know TV today about how composed he was even though they were losing at one point and how composed he was and how he knew that his Tigers were going to come back eventually mm-hmm. he has faith in his players and he really is a com- he's a confident person he's an intelligent person as we all know we've been preaching that for a while but he's a gr- I really think that he's going to come out to a great manager Lou and I were talking about it I mean he's going to be great yeah, I mean, I I think it was a pretty sound pickup, but, you know, a lot has remains to be seen. And uh, I just wanted to comment on something you said a little, Austin, about Cabby. You said he was getting a confidence boost with the contract. I mean, Cabby doesn't need a confidence boost. <laughs> oh. This guy, this guy's the best <laughs> in the game, need. you know. But, but, you know, you you like to think that, but even with that confidence boost, it's going to make him play that much better. I, Maybe he I, will I, be able to get that second <laughs> triple crown this year, and that's the scary part. Hopefully. It's true, but I don't think the contract has anything to do with it. It's because he's Cabby. This is Cabby, folks. <laughs> hey, you know. It's it's nice to see a $292 million coming into your bank account. I don't think we'll ever see that, guys. I think it was a confidence boost for his driveway, but that's about it. <laughs> and maybe his house and his cars, too. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to close it up a little bit here on Tiger Talk. Remember, listeners, you can always call us at 517-432-3893. And when we come back after the break, we'll be talking a little bit about the unionization with college athletes. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Packs on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building. Without all that smoking. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. 
And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. You heard it there, folks. We're back on WDBM East Lansing. I'm your host, Faith, along with my great panelists here. But before we get back into the unionization about college athletes, we want to we're giving away some free tickets to the 8th Annual Crosstown Showdown. So today's winner will be put on the guest list along with one other to the showdown. MSU versus the Lugnuts, courtesy of the Lansing Lugnuts. The game will start at 7.05 p.m. this Thursday, April 3rd at Cooley Law Stadium in downtown Lansing. So Impact would like to thank the Lansing Lugnuts for their continued support and remind listeners that they may win once per week. So if you're interested in getting those tickets and going to a Lansing Lugnuts game versus Michigan State, give us a call. You can also call in and talk about the unionization that we're going to be talking about right now on the roundtable. So you can call us at 517-432-3893. But we're going to get right into it. Guys, we're talking about the unionization. So last Wednesday... The National Labor Relations Board ruled that a group of Northwestern football players were considered employees to the university and they have the right to form a union and bargain collectively. So I want to talk about a little bit about what this unionization means and what it entails. So what they're fighting for is the scholarship amounts to be increased, players allowed to be paid for sponsorship, plans to improve graduation rates, fair process for handling accusations of rule violations, medical coverage for sports-related expenses, and measures to reduce concussion risks, and much more. So that's a little bit about what the unionization they're fighting for is about. But I want to get your guys' opinions on what does this, you know, what does this mean for college athletics? And Harry, I'm going to put you on the spot because you are a college athlete. You play, you know, you, you're a tennis player for Michigan State University. I want to hear your thoughts. So for me personally, this is obviously something that's close to me. I personally don't think guys like me, tennis players or women's gymnastics or soccer players should get paid unless they're bringing in money for the university. I think that college athletics has become such a business. NCAA brings in about $11 billion annually in revenue to the point where it's, it's unjust that these football players, whereas the average athletic scholarship is only 10000 a year, so I think these football players, these basketball players, should be able to at least bargain for what they get paid because right now you have guys at the NCAA telling you you only can make this much, you only can do this, where students that are in the marching band, they can go sell tickets to a show they do, they could perform at a bar for money, whereas NCAA athletes, they can't market themselves, they can't do any of that. And this is funny because the president of the NCAA makes $1.7 million. <laughs> and they're saying they don't have money to pay athletes. Well, do you deserve that salary? You're working for a nonprofit organization technically, but you're making $1.7 million telling others they can't have their cake when they're the ones that are actually making it. Of course. Lou? I'm with Harry on this one. Uh, and, you know, the way I understand the rule is that it only affects private universities. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Brooke, my, Brooks, my fact checker back here. Yes. But, uh, you know, and... So this does kind of open the door for talk about it when it comes to public universities, but as of now, it's, it still only is talk. So we'll see how that goes. But right now, for private universities, I do think it makes sense. You know, I think that they should be able to bargain because, you know, scholarships are only so much, like Harry says. And then say you get injured. Say you're, you're an athlete, a football player for Northwestern. You come in, you're a highly touted freshman guy. Ten grand scholarship, you know, you're from way out in the boonies in Alabama or something. You don't have any money. And then, you know, you sign a contract or however they do it now. You know, I'm going to attend the school for four years. And then you tear your ACL. You're done. 
you know, you should still have the right to be able to stay there and get an education. And so I think that is a good thing. You know, they brought him there for a reason. They, they should be able to pay him back a little bit, too. Of course. Yeah, I mean, you want to be able to pay back your athletes, but at the same time, guys, you have to keep in mind the the big-headedness that you can get from your top three sports. You have hockey, you have you have football, and you have basketball. And those three sports, obviously, you know, you can give your you could let your players be in advertisements and you know let them make more money. But for me, I really don't think that it is wise to give those players that big of a head. Harry's over here like anxious. <laughs> I'm a tennis player and I have no problem with those. I don't I honestly don't think that MSU should be forced to have a tennis team or a women's tennis team because those don't make money for them. What's the point of having them? The college is a business. Why are we wasting money giving money to sports when we could funnel more into football and get more out of that? And also people who say, oh, well, the, the system as it is now, we don't know the effects of it. Well, you're going to learn the effects of it just because the system has been the system for years doesn't mean you don't change it because, oh, it might change everything. Think about this. Aaron Harrison, big shot, three-pointer made over Michigan. On Sunday, I want to say after the MSU game, devastating for Michigan fans. The athletic department, through coaches, administrators, the athletic director, they got 330000 in raises, $330,000 wow. in raises. And Aaron Harrison is the one that made that three-point shot. Because they're going to the Final Four, all those people are getting paid. Aaron Harrison is not getting a dollar. And I think that's a really good point because those athletes aren't even seeing that money. Yep. That they're not being seeing put any because, of that. You know, during March Madness, you know, that this tournament basically makes $800 million off off just March Madness, just this, these, this tournament going on. And none of the athletes get that. Mm-hmm. So that's a great point. Absolutely. It is a good point. I mean, guys, we have to keep in mind these players obviously want to make money when they go to college, but you are going to college to get an education. And at the same time, in college, you're immature. All right. Let's be honest for a second. You are young. You are 18 to 22 years old. And when you're being put on an advertisement and getting paid a million dollars, let's say that happens. I don't think they're going to be able to handle that amount of money being able to be given to those athletes. And especially compared to the other players on the team that don't have a big enough scholarship. I I just don't think that that's the decision for the university to make. I think that it's the athlete's decision. I, I, I kind of agree with you, Austin. You know what? Like in all likelihood, some kid's going to go out and spend a bunch of money on something stupid. But the thing is, they still deserve that money and how they deal with it. You know, hopefully they have, you know, they can work out situations how that works, you know, but they do deserve some of this revenue. I think I it mean, should it, go to the academics only. I think it should go only into scholarships. It should not go in their pockets. See, my whole thing about this whole advertising thing, well, these athletes are already on advertisements. I know Jay Billis, I follow him on Twitter. He's a great guy to follow on Twitter if you want to stay updated on this topic. Back when Johnny Manziel was being uh, scrutinized for signing autographs for money, well, the NCAA was selling his jersey for money with his name on it. And jersey sales. It. That's and like the biggest point. Jersey he sales, you know? Isn't saying, yeah. He isn't seeing any of that mem- money. I remember Chris Webber, Fab Five, he was, a, he was a generational player. They were one of the most famous group of uh, players back in the day. He walks into a store and he sees a jersey, for, number four for U of M, selling with his name on the back of it. And he goes... I can't even get money to get food. And these people are selling my jersey, making millions off it. And I can't even get money to make food. That's a good point. So when you see it in that light, the fact that he had all those NCAA violations that kind of did Michigan over, it makes sense where that's not fair. It's his jersey. It's not the athletic directors. It's not the coaches. It's his jersey. He should see that money. Great. 
Last closing thoughts. I mean, uh, when you think when you think that just because you want to get the money for the jersey, I, I, there are so many different aspects, and there are a lot of things that need to get panned out with this, guys. Nobody can really put a finger on it. All right. Well, that's our closing on our unionization and the private college athletics. But thank you guys for tuning in to the PAC and WDBM. Here we'll be back here in Holden Hall next Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. So make sure you guys tune in. You guys all have a great night.